Hi, I'm Callie. And I'm Rachel. And we are Pelvic Service Announcement. episode you guys are crushing it with the requests i love it so this actually came from one of my friends who is in medical school she is graduating this year could not be more proud of her but she is going into family medicine uh with the navy she graduated from the naval academy she's just a little badass um and so she actually asked she's like you know i got a couple patients that are um you know, have a lot of pain with pelvic exams. Like, is there anything that I can tell them as their physician to help kind of, you know, get them to relax and calm down any tips and tricks. And so we're like, you know what, let's do a whole episode on that. So if this is, you know, this is for this episode is for the ladies that are going into their pelvic exams, or if you are a genetically female but identify as a male you still need pelvic exams too Um, and so this is a good episode to listen to if this is maybe your first one or if you have some pain with pelvic exams if you are nervous anxious or have any questions just you know we always say knowledge is power we always say that a a knowledgeable patient is an empowered patient. Um, and so just like having this information, knowing what to expect can help a lot, not only with that pain, but with, you know, relieving a lot of anxiety as well. So that's what we're going into today. Yeah, absolutely. I think like, especially if you're a planner, which I so am going into this with knowledge and a plan, like can give you a sense of control. And that's, I think the hardest part is, when you have pain, there's already fear and there's a, such a like lack of control in that exam. It's almost like you feel like this exam is being done to you. And mm-hmm. I feel like if you can take back some of that power and control, it can just help alleviate some of that anxiety, get you in a better headspace and just make the whole process that much more comfortable. Yeah. So my first piece of advice is depending on what works for you take a support person with you if you feel like you need it and have them there in the room for with you Mm -hmm. whether that's a mom or a sister or partner husband whatever take a support person with you just so you don't feel so alone maybe you even need like you feel like you need an advocate someone to help talk to your provider if you become too nervous or uncomfortable Mm -hmm. I think having that support person can be really really beneficial if you're under 18 you need one of those anyway yeah yeah if you you are and that's actually one of the things that I found um, typically that first gynecological visit is recommended to be scheduled between the ages of 13 and 15 and typically at that point at that appointment if you're that young they will not do a pelvic exam they will not do any sort of internal exam maybe some sort of external something depending on what your symptoms are Um, but that's actually coming from the american congress of obstetrics and gynecology acog we love them they Mm -hmm. set a lot of really good guidelines and recommendations for treatment when to seek treatment um what that that provider's care looks like um the actual pap smear, which is kind of like what you'll hear a lot of women refer to it as, like, oh, I got to go get a pap or whatever. Um, that is actually spe- a specific test that actually text f- tests for cervical cancer. And so that is when a swab, either like a Q-tip or a brush is actually inserted into the vagina and the cervical um, area is swabbed to collect some of those cervical cells. They're sent off to the lab for testing. Um, that is recommended at age 21. Um, um, little bit of a different recommendation on whether or not you're sexually active. So it's usually um, kind of one thing that I saw consistently was that um, that pap smear is typically scheduled for the first time either when you turn 21 or when you become sexually active, whichever comes first. Some sources also said, nope, it's just 21 no matter what, but talk to your healthcare provider, talk to your gynecologist. They might have, again, depending on your symptoms, depending on how sexually active you have been up until that point, up until age 21, you know, was it one partner? Was it multiple partners? More 
partners definitely or multiple sexual partners definitely puts you at a higher risk for developing some STIs um, or or developing HPV, which is one another big thing that they test for. So depending on your past sexual history, that might also depend um, or determine what kind of testing that they do. So they're really looking at just that external genitalia, some internal genitalia, the uterus, the cervix, the vaginal walls, the fallopian tubes, ovaries, the bladder, the rectum, all of those things kind of fall within the wheelhouse of the gynecologist. And that's what they're looking for. So, um, and there will often be a breast exam too, especially if it's like a checkup, a yearly Mm -hmm. checkup, like they'll, like my provider did a breast exam and then talked me through how to do self breast exams yeah. which I thought was like super awesome super helpful yeah especially if uh breast cancer runs through your family that is definitely going to be something that they ask you about um I remember I had to text my mom and I was like okay when did this person have breast cancer when were they diagnosed when was this happen when did they when did they go into remission? she's like I don't know <laughs> I was like please help <laughs> please help, help me so, yeah so uh breast exam is typically involved um they and they're even if they do find something, they're very good about getting things done quickly. I will say, um, I had, uh, as a last, my last appointment with my gynecologist, they, again, because of my personal family history with breast cancer and I just, this is going to sound really weird. I just have like very dense breast tissue <laughs> and I don't know how else to describe it other than they're kind of just lumpy. Like there's yeah. just some things in there. They're just dense. I don't know. And so I was, it's always been something that I've like been nervous about. I'm like, is this normal? Is this weird? I don't know. Like there are some areas that are definitely like denser than others. And so she found an area that she was just like, eh, I don't really know about this. Don't really like it this is just kind of concerning. I'm going to send you to get, um, an ultrasound, um, at the, I think it was like the Arkansas breast clinic or whatever. And was literally in there the next day, like was in there the next day. They scheduled the appointment for me. They made sure that they, you know, took my insurance, they got everything done. And of course, I mean, if, Every time that you hear you need further testing, that sends off like alarm bells and you're freaking out. They're like, it, it's fine. Like you're, this isn't something that like we're super nervous about just because of your family history. And it just feels a little bit weird. We just want to get you checked. So your doctor should be very open in that communication. Um, I've even called doctors back. Like there was one time I thought I had skin cancer and the doctor was like, oh no, it's fine. And then the lady that scheduled me was talking to the doctor's office and was like, this needs to have come off yesterday. We need to get her in now. And I was like about to throw up. Um, and so I called back and I was like, how nervous do I need to be about this? Like what is happening? And they were just kind of like, she should not have said that, especially in front of you. Like there was, there was no reason to, to freak you out like that. So don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to call back if you need to be like, Hey, this was actually really concerning. I've had time to kind of process this, but like, what does this mean? What are, what did this test look at? And, um, we're going to like, like I said, we're going to try to cover a lot of that in this episode, just again, that way, you know, what to, what to look for, what to expect. Um, so that way you can go in knowing what questions to ask, not just, uh, what in the world is happening. I think it's really important too, to find a provider that you're comfortable with because there's usually a lot of options and it's almost like we've talked about with therapists. Like some people are a good fit. Some people aren't. And the more it's important for your health that you are comfortable with your Mm -hmm. provider. It's important that you feel like if you have something kind of funky, you can ask about it. Even if it's like weird or you, it's important that you feel heard and validated because that means you're going to bring stuff up more often versus if you're uncomfortable and you're like, well, I don't like want to just be dismissed or written off whether or not they mean to make you feel that way. But if you feel like that and then you just don't bring things up and then things can maybe get bad when, or you can worry unnecessarily. So really, really finding a provider you're comfortable with is super important. And I think sometimes we just think, oh, well, this is my doctor and we don't change. It's like, especially like Amarillo is not very big and we have so many gynecologists and nurse pracs that can provide this kind of care. So find somebody that you're comfortable with. I 
Like I am obsessed with, I have a nurse practitioner right now that handles all of my gynecological care and she's literally amazing. And I love her so much. And like, every time I go in there, I feel like we're just like girl talk. Hey I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, Hey, like this nipple was looking funky. Can you just like take a look at it? And she's like, Oh yeah, that's totally normal. Like you're good. And I'm like, thanks. Thanks just so much. Like, weird. So, like, cause it, and so it's important that you're comfortable with your provider. Yeah. And you do to all of our, our young patients out there, our young listeners out there, you do not have to go to your mom's gynecologist. No. You do not have to go to your mom's. That was kind of like what, um, what I just had kind of like assumed, you know, cause I was 13. I was like, I'm not about to be making my own doctor's appointments. I still try to avoid making my own doctor's appointments. And I turned 27 tomorrow. And so it's like, you don't have to go to your mom's, especially because my mom used to go to a man and I was just like, absolutely not 100%. No, I will never in my life go to a male gynecologist. No, especially when I was, you know, 15, yeah. 13 or 15. And so she was, and she was also like, no, you're not going to him either. Like, no, we're not going to do that. We'll send you to somebody else. So, um, but the, the gynecologist that I did have in Arkansas, she was awesome. Um, she was actually my, the guy that I was dating at the time, she was his ex-girlfriend's mom. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't know if she knew, but I did. And I was like, hey, <laughs> they didn't date for very long. So it was fine. Yeah. Back to that provider, being comfortable with your provider. I know a provider, and this is, I mean, this was forever. The person, this happened forever ago. Like the person who was telling me the story is my mother's age. Mm-hmm. She was at this particular provider, no one here in Amarillo. And she was in there with her mom because she was underage and she was having a pelvic exam, not a pap smear. So there's no speculum. It was just the one finger exam, mm-hmm. similar to what we do in here, but looking at different things. And she tells her mom, the provider tells this 15 year old girl's mom, oh, wow, your daughter's a really good girl. I can still see her hymen is still intact. Oh, I don't like that. Yeah. And so I like, I remember hearing that story and I was like, I, I was like, I don't know. It, it was one of those things. I was like, I don't know what's wrong with this, but I feel weird. I, yeah, I feel weird I don't about like this. That. And I will not be going to this provider. I, no. I was young and I was just like, I don't like that. Your I do not. Like good, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. No. And I was just like, no, that's no, no, like no. really poor bedside manner. Yeah. I feel like, and I just, I think it seemed dehumanizing to me. Yeah. Like it seemed dehumanizing to the, and like I said, the person it was forever ago when that happened. Yeah. And so I think things are way different now, I but so. I just remember I was like traumatized by that story. I was like, I don't like that. No, no. Thankfully that has not been my experience. Thank goodness. With, and again, there's that's no harm in changing providers. Exactly. So yeah. like have a conversation and if you don't feel comfortable with your provider and they're like, Hey, let's do a pap smear. You can refuse and get a new provider. Yeah. So absolutely. I'm not saying refuse and never get a pap smear. Cause if they're recommending it, you probably need one, you need but it. get someone you feel comfortable with. Yeah. So how often do you need one? That's another big question that I think comes up a lot. Again, recommendations vary based off of your age, your concerns, your sexual history, um, your medical history. Some basically anywhere from a from once a year to every three years. So again, kind of depends. Um, who needs to have one? Any woman that is between ages 21 and 65, or transgender men assigned female at birth. Again, y'all need pelvic exams too. We talked about this. Um, um, way back in one of our episodes when we read the vagina Bible because that was a big thing that uh, Dr. Jen Gunter harped on a lot was that discrepancy in um, in genital care and sexual health care for transgender men and women. Um, but yes, you are still at risk for cervical cancer, even if you are taking testosterone, even if you are have transitioned to a man but have not had that gender-affirming surgery, if those parts are still if there. If you have a vagina, if you have a vulva, yes. you need to have one. You need to have, yes. That's you are just still, a good way to put if it. If those yeah. organs are still present, they are still at risk for developing cancers, abnormal tissues, and we need to get that checked out. So again, depending on your medical history, how you're presenting your concerns, um, anywhere from once a year to once every three years is kind of, um, kind of that, that, um, recommendation. 
There's nothing that you need to do to prepare for the exam physically. You don't need to douche. You don't need to shave. You don't need to do any of that. Paint your toenails. Don't need to paint your toenails. Don't care. If don't you care. are a postmenopausal woman who is struggling with vaginal dryness and or atrophy or anyone who, and you have that skin tears really easy, there's nothing you have to do, but there are some things you can do Yes, that will make that more comfortable. Again, nothing you have to do. So if you're like, well, I have a pap smear tomorrow and I haven't done this, totally fine. Yeah. No, no grooming. Is, no, is what I mean. yeah, 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 no, yeah. No, no grooming. grooming or like preparation. They're not, you know, like when you go to get a colonoscopy, they're like, all right, clear everything out. You don't have to do that here. None like of that. Surgery none of that. where you have to wash with a special soap. Right. Like nothing can't like eat that. anything 12 hours before. Yeah. No, none of that. You just show up. It does. It does recommend that if you are getting a pap smear that you don't insert anything into the vagina for about 48 hours prior to that exam. That was the first time that I had I heard of that. that. I didn't know that either. Um, so I would ask if you're like, again, just ask your provider. There might be certain things and they should tell you that anyway. Like that should if they do want that, if they do want you to be, you know, have nothing in there for 48 hours. So like anything, so like um, you're not supposed to have sex 48 hours before? That's what, that's what all it said was don't insert anything 48 hours before. And that was coming from the Cleveland clinic. Um, and so again, yeah. every, every provider might be different depending on, you know, kind of what they're testing for, what lab they use, what testing, you know, it couldn't hurt to ask that was I just thought that was interesting I was like that's the first time that I've yeah. ever well, heard of that so I know a lot of times you can get like false positive or mm -hmm. like some abnormal I wonder if that just cuts down on Probably the chance of yeah. like that false picking up some yeah. some interesting tissues so that's interesting yeah, I so that, that was interesting that too. might save you some time or that might mm -hmm. save you having to have a repeat yeah pap smear yeah it, so ask yeah. Just ask. Um, and then if you're on your period, when that scheduled appointment comes around, they might have you reschedule. They might not just depending on your comfort level, what testing they're wanting to do anyway. Um, and so again, ask, call and ask, just say, and we have patients do that with us all the time. They're like, uh, I started my period. Can I still come? And for us, it doesn't matter. We're not doing any lab testing or anything like that. So we're just like, yeah, no, come on in. Um, but again, depending on what testing they're wanting to do, um, they might have you reschedule. They might have you reschedule that. But no, as far as grooming or anything like that, nothing that you need to do to prepare. It takes about 10 minutes and you should not have pain either. So that's kind of like the biggest thing that we're about to jump into. Um, you should not have pain with this exam. It should be comfortable. It should be easy. Um, and again, it usually takes about 10 minutes. So with that exam, it is an external examination just of the external genitalia, the vagina, the vulva, the skin around, making sure there's no atrophy of that skin, making sure that there is no redness, no irritation, no tearing, um, any sort of scar tissue. We're looking at that. Um, and then usually a manual exam with just one or two fingers inside the vagina and the other hand is going to press down on the belly just to assess organ shape and size, the bladder, the uterus, the rectum, everything like that, just to make sure everything is moving. Okay. If you are having a pap smear and actual tissue samples taken, they typically use a speculum. You may have heard us talk about that before way back when we did the episode on the father of gynecology, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, and, uh, he is credited with developing the first speculum. Again, he really just stuck two spoons together. So um, the speculum that we use today is a little bit different um, and a little bit more comfortable. Uh, my gynecologist has a heater. He has a, oh, a, nice. a heated drawer where all the speculums sit. And so you don't even feel that thing going. It's so nice. That's nice. Um, I can't make that promise for everybody. <laughs> Mine does not. So it might be a little cold. Might be a little cold. Um, but that is inserted into the vagina and expanded so that the provider can see the walls of the vagina and the cervix. And then typically a swab, again, a Q-tip or a brush that's just used to collect tissue samples um, to check for cancers, STIs, everything like that. Again, usually takes about 10 minutes. There is a, again, this was the first time that I saw this when I was looking things up for this episode, a possible rectal exam. Again, depending on your symptoms, on your issues, on your concerns. Again, that was the first time I had ever heard that. I was like, I don't know of anybody that has gone to the gynecologist and ended up with a rectal exam. Um, but again, depending on what's going on, depending on what your problems are, 
that could be on the table again, just to, I mean, that's on the table with, with us too, right? Yeah. Is, is that rectal exam? Again, it all depends on your concerns, your complaints, your symptoms, how you're presenting and your medical history. So yeah. Yeah. So with that, we talked about the, the grooming prep, but for my postmenopausal women or anyone who's been diagnosed with vaginal dryness and or atrophy, so if you notice that you that tissue is very friable, it tears pretty easy. And so the thought of an exam, you're like, well, I, every time I get a, an exam with a speculum, I have tearing and bleeding and it's super painful because of those reasons. There is some things you can do to prep for that. You can actually do perennial massage that we've talked about with some kind of oil, vitamin E oil, mineral oil, coconut oil, organic sunflower oil. And if you'll start one month prior and just work on that bottom outer half opening 10 to 15 seconds each day, it can make that exam extremely more comfortable for these people with dryness and atrophy. So if you are postmenopausal, that's something to consider. But if you're just anyone off the street who has a history of pain with these exams or an apprehension of pain with these exams and you're like, what can I do to make this more comfortable to, you know, get through this, so to speak, we have got all the things for you. So Rachel talked you through the exam, but ask your provider what they're going to do. So my provider when I had my IUD inserted, which it was painful, but I, I, she talked me through everything. So she told me, this is what I'm going to do. And it was like three, she's like, there's three steps. First you will fill this, then you will fill this, then you will fill this. Then as she did it, she said, for I'm doing now that first step. I told you, okay, that first step's done. Now I'm doing, and so as she was talking me through that, I knew what to expect. And so it wasn't like, oh, this pain's never going to end. Cause so much of pain, we've talked about pain science. It's like mental, right? And so I knew, okay, I'm already halfway through or I'm a third of the way through, almost done. I knew exactly what to expect. I knew exactly what she was doing. And I knew like when, how close we were to this being over. And so that really, really helped me manage the pain. So talk to your provider and say, okay, what are we about to do? And like tell her to break it down step by step. First, I'm going to insert the speculum. Then I'm going to widen it. Then I'm going to insert the brush or the Q-tip. And then I will close and remove the speculum and then have her tell you, okay, I am inserting the speculum. I'm widening it. Okay, now. And just that way, you know exactly what's going on because there's such fear in the unknown. And we can't, you're in a position, you cannot see what is going on down there. So have her or he or she, have them talk you through what they are doing before they ever even do it. And if you are a physician listening to this and you do provide pelvic exams, I think this is a great piece of advice too, because I mean, and I know we get caught up in it too. It's just like, all right, next patient, all right, Mm -hmm. next patient, all right, next patient. And it's like, okay, this could be somebody's very first time ever stepping foot in a gynecologist's office. And so it can get, you know, easy to get caught up in just like the flow of things and just kind of that, you know, redundancy. But at the same time, walking that patient through everything and not assuming that, okay, like, you know, well, they're 30 years old, they're a middle-aged person. They probably know exactly what's going on. They've had pelvic exams before. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. And, you know, they might not know what to expect. They might be terrified. They might have a history of trauma. They might have a history of abuse. And it's something to respect. And walking them through that process can ease their anxieties so much. Mm-hmm. So, so much. Again, just giving them that control. Um, and, you know, I think that if they're in pain, if they're in excruciating pain, it's done. The the exam is over. The test is over. It's not worth, it's not worth their pain. And unfortunately I've had patients that I've had that there's, I had one patient, I can't remember exactly what procedure she was having done or what they were doing. It was some sort of internal vaginal exam or test or something. And she was like, screaming she was in so much pain and they were just like just a little bit longer like we've got to get this we've got to do this and I was just like that sounds terrible like that sounds 
just absolutely gut-wrenching, fear-inducing, like horribly traumatic experience that she had and definitely didn't do anything to help her pelvic pain. That's for sure. And so I think just respecting your patient's wishes is, is huge. Listening to those patients and understanding. Um, and I think communicating, you know, as patients communicate with your provider of, Hey, you know, last time I had a pelvic exam, I hurt for three days or, you know, I was with a different provider. I, you know, I'm, this is my first time here with you. And you know, the last provider didn't respect my wishes. And when I asked them to stop, they didn't and or I have a history of this and that is my might affect you know what what happens during this exam having that open line of communication the more that that physician knows the better they're going to be able to help you Um, and vice versa the more your patient knows the more they're going to be able to help you and talk to you so that you can figure out the best course of treatment so having that open line of communication is so so crucial And on the flip side of that, if you do everything we've said and like it's not working and you're still having pain or if you're a provider listening and you start to do a pelvic exam and your patient has a ton of pain, I've had providers send people to me Mm -hmm. and they say, okay, we're going to try this again in three months. In the meantime, I want you to do therapy. You're going to pelvic therapy. And they come to pelvic floor therapy and they go back and they do a million times better, have that pap smear with no pain because when... When we know that, we talk patients through this technique. I've even had, I had someone with a pretty significant history of trauma who it was all about being control. So we literally practiced. I was like, I am your provider. You talk to me like you would talk to the person doing your pap smear. And she was all about, like she needed to say, like we had to start here and she had to tell me when I could move and I would talk her through things. And we practiced scenarios where I didn't and she had to ask me, okay, can you stop and repeat what you're gonna do? And like worked through all of that. And she's able, she was able to go and That's have perfect. a pap smear, no problem. That's so. Beautiful patient or provider, whoever's listening, if you were having pain and you're just like, don't force your way through that, especially if you're a provider, don't force your way through that. Stop. Three months is what it, we took three months to practice that. And then it was like, all right, come back and we'll do this again. So, and it can just make the world of difference for your patients. So very, very important. Um, Get as comfortable as possible on that table. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's hard. Your feet are up in stirrups and they tell you to scoot down until you feel like you're gonna your fall off. rear end is going to drop off the edge of the earth. So if you need to ask for extra pillows, like bring a blanket with you. If you want to cold like, in there, whatever. you got to be naked in that yeah. little paper gown. But don't be afraid to ask for what you need. If you need another like pillow if you need to get more comfortable if maybe they can adjust the head of the bed whatever it is but try to get as comfortable as possible before you start if you know you have pain ask them to use the smallest speculum possible so speculums aren't one size fit all, fits all there's multiple sizes talk to your provider about using that small speculum if it's the insertion part or the opening part ask them to go slow and open it a little bit, give you a little bit to rest, open it a little bit more. So just do not be afraid to talk to your provider. That's very, very important. If you are someone who has sensitive skin, you can, most providers will let you bring your own lubricant for the speculum, especially if it's water-based and has no glycerin or parabens. But if you're like, I know I'm really, really sensitive. I do great with this lube. It's great. Just call and ask. Be like, hey, can I bring this? Can you look at it? Can we use this for the speculum? I know I do well with this. And that's just another situation. Like you're kind of taking back that control. And then my biggest piece of advice is have some relaxation techniques because most of the time they're going to tell you relax. Okay great thank you, you so much tell, yeah when I it's like it's like when I like when someone's anxious and they're like well just don't stress about it right like that's how that's like the same thing just stop being upset just yeah, stop just being relax. in pain thank you so much for that piece of advice <laughs> so what are some realistic things you can do so we've talked about it before I think if you have muscle tightness and you're trying to force open a tight muscle that is going to be painful. So we want those pelvic floor muscles as relaxed as possible. That is not a natural 
thing when you are no. in those stirrups. No. It's I it's not natural for me and I'm a pelvic floor physical yeah. therapist. <laughs> so I, you put me in those stirrups and my pelvic floor like slam shut. It's like absolutely not. <laughs> None shall pass. <laughs> yeah. So keep in mind, relaxing is not going to feel natural. So no. when someone's like, relax, 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 you're like, I literally have no idea what that even could possibly <laughs> feel like. I am. What do you mean? So the very first thing I want you to do is just start the diaphragm breathing. Yep. Hand on the chest, hand yep. on the belly. If you have to, close your eyes, take some deep breaths. You can even like take an AirPod and put in some like calming music yeah. in one ear because just like the quiet, s- sterile office can right. be a little much. <laughs> so put in an AirPod in one ear where you can hear the calming music, but you can still have that communication yep. with your provider. Take some deep, deep belly breaths. And then, so since you're probably gonna have no idea how to start resting the pelvic floor. Focus on your lower abdomen. So instead of like drawing everything up and in towards your head, I want you to start with your abdomen and just push your lower belly out. Almost like, like literally push it out. Don't just relax it, push that lower belly out a little bit. And then start kind of thinking down a little bit further. Think about uncurling your tailbone letting down your butthole so don't have your butthole in your throat try to lower that down don't force like bear down but just a gentle push down get your buttholes out of your throat that's your psa PSA. get your butthole because i i'm just like thinking about what i do when i'm in that position and i'm like like, just like squeezing everything it's hard it's so so hard so and again like the more you focus on okay relax okay relax okay relax that does nothing the harder it is so if you take it in increments like callie said it it makes it a lot easier because you've if you kind of think okay let me just relax my whole entire body that can be really difficult and so I'll even have patients um, start with their toes, Mm -hmm. like literally just start with your toes and just imagine kind of one of my like favorite like meditation type things to do is imagine a warm light that is just slowly making its way over your body starting at your toes that light is just gently starting to warm up your toes and it's gradually moving up your feet into your ankles over your knees through your hips into your low belly into your chest into your neck into your head I feel better already. I was about to say that just relaxed me. I just like <laughs> listened to that and kind of like melted just into my seat. That, yes. And so, yeah, just having that visualization, you know, close your eyes. Okay. That warm light is just traveling over my body, starting at the toes. And if you need to repeat, if you need to imagine that warm light going right back down and back up the entire time, do that. Yeah. Have that, having that visualization, it kind of helps to, you know, it's like, oh, the light is warming me up, not me consciously trying to relax yeah every single every single toe and every single joint it's like no okay I'm having that warm light almost like the the clouds are moving past the sun and that sunlight is just slowly starting to travel up your body yeah that helps so so much again if you take it in increments like that rather than just I need to relax I need to relax take it okay I'm gonna relax my toes and that light is moving up towards my ankles and now it's at my knees and now it's at my belly button. Now it's around my pelvic region. Now I can relax there, but I also need to relax my chest. And you know, it's, you're not hyper-focused yeah. on one specific area. If you just focus like right in on that vaginal opening, mm-hmm. sometimes that can create more stress. Absolutely. So I usually start my relaxation techniques when they start getting that speculum and everything ready. So like a assume the position, feet up in the stirrups, and then I just start relaxing. Sometimes I'll even close my eyes while they're getting all of that ready. If they come, like get in front of you, providers right there, and they're like, okay, are you ready? And you know you have not relaxed yet, ask for more time. You can say no. When they say, are you ready? You can say no. No is a complete sentence. I need... And be like, give me a couple more minutes. I'd like to try to relax more. I have, Hopefully by this point, you've told them you have a history of pain. If not, then go ahead and tell them. Sometimes yeah, I have a, a lot time. of pain with this. If you would please just give me a couple more seconds. If you are someone who has a hard time communicating when you get anxious, that's where that supporting partner can yep. really come in handy. Yep. You can have some kind of signal, like maybe two hand squeezes means I'm not ready. One hand squeeze means I'm ready. 
you can have your partner be like, hey, can you give her a couple seconds? We're trying to relax a little bit more and help you with that communication part of things. And a good provider is going to be like, absolutely take your time yeah. and going to make you feel comfortable and probably ask, can I do anything to yeah. help you be more comfortable? What can I help with? Yeah. Because nobody goes into healthcare because they're selfish, horrible human no. beings. No. <laughs> like, these providers are there because they want to help people. Like med school's hard. Nobody yeah. just does it because they're like, oh, I want to make, there's a lot of ways to make money. Yeah. Like they could go be a stockbroker if they were just right. in it for them. Like most of these people are in it because to they have a heart people. for helping people. So if you communicate this to them, they're going to be like, absolutely. Like, what can I do? And so then, like you said, then it's just up to you if you want to tell them how fast, how slow. If you're someone who has a history of trauma, that control and that consent may be a bigger deal. So with my patient with a history of trauma, she had to start, we had to start like just me touching her knee. And then she told me when I could move. And then we slowly would go and I'd be like, okay, I'm going to move to your thigh. I'm going to move here. Okay, I'm going to place my hand here. Are you ready? Yes, you can do that. And so sometimes it's it's whatever you need. And so communicate that with your provider because they're not going to know unless you tell them. And then this is my favorite part, recovering from yes. the appointment. I always treat myself after a doctor's appointment. Um, I had a doctor's appointment yesterday. I went and bought a dress after. <laughs> I, I, when I was a little kid, like when my mom would take us to get shots, we always got a treat after. Like, we got to go yep. to the park or something. Positive reinforcement. <laughs> so, I maintain that. I'm 26 and I still do that. So, yesterday, I got, well, I got two things. I got a dress and a cup of coffee. <laughs> so, whatever it is for you. Sometimes I go to the bookstore and I get a new book. Um, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'll buy myself some jewelry. Whatever it is, if you want to go to Ruffled Cup and get yourself a cupcake, like, Whatever it is, have something to look forward to yes. after that. And then treat your pelvic floor. Yes. So child's pose. Get in child's pose. Imagine that warm light. Diaphragm breathe in that pose. Then do some happy baby. Stretch those pelvic floor muscles out because that stress of the exam, you're going to have some tightening. So treat your pelvic floor and treat yourself after the appointment. We have a reel on Instagram that shows how to do that diaphragmatic breathing, child's pose, and happy baby. Those are like our favorite stretches ever. Yeah. Um, if you come see us and you have pelvic pain, you're getting those you're exercises. Getting those. The, our patients that are listening, they're like, yep, that's exactly where we started. So um, we love those. We do have a reel on Instagram that shows you how to do those. So go find it at pelvic service announcement. Um, if you're not familiar with those stretches or with those poses, it can help a ton, help mm -hmm. a ton. Um, one thing I forgot to mention during the exam, wiggle your toes. You can wiggle your toes as well. That can yeah. help. Um, that can help a ton with just kind of getting your mind off of it and relaxing. Um, that way you're not, again, not hyper-focused, but wiggling your toes, counting backwards, you know, in your head from 100 by 7s. Again, just get your mind off of it um, if you need to. Now, don't dissociate. I'm not saying, you know, completely, completely zone out and go somewhere else, but can help, again, just with that, some of that hyper-fixation. Yeah. But absolutely yeah. i meant to mention that too that's something i even have people do in here yeah if they're like really apprehensive but they still want to do the exam i'm like all right wiggle your toes and then they're kind of laughing and the yeah. mood's a little bit lighter mm -hmm. and when it starts like if they're like okay this spot i'm afraid it's gonna hurt i'm like wiggle your toes and i'm like oh that wasn't that bad and it's that's a little bit better. it's like a little magic trick okay so hopefully this was helpful yeah i mean we like doing stuff like this, just kind of like that, what to expect. Um, we have one on, you know, what to expect from your first um, pelvic floor physical therapy uh, evaluation. Um, and so now we've got this one. If there's any other episodes that you would like us to do, please let us know. Please, please, please. We love taking requests. Um, and so if there's anything else that you want us to talk about or topics that you want us to cover, fire away. So interesting are what to expect from your first pelvic floor PT exam. Someone was going to a pelvic floor PT, not even in this state. And they were like, what can I expect? And I was like, everything's different, but listen to this episode. And they were like, that episode was extremely helpful and extremely accurate. Beautiful. So 
apparently it transfers it's not just if you come to see us yeah. hopefully if you're going to see a good pelvic floor pt that episode should be helpful that should track yeah. so i thought that was neat that is really nice that is really nice do you have a patient one i do i do i had a patient last i saw her last week um she was able to okay well let me start at the beginning okay so she had some don't really know exactly what happened. I think she passed out when she was in the bathroom. Not really sure. Um, it was about two years ago. She just like could not stand up, ended up having to go to the hospital. Couldn't really figure out what had happened. Um, but since then had been having like severe, severe constipation to the point where she was having to use suppositories like multiple times a week in order just to have a, a bowel movement. And so we got her doing some constipation management. We got her, you know, relaxing those pelvic floor muscles and dietary management was a big one as well. I tell us to all my patients, what goes in has got to come out. Okay. So what you're putting into your body is going to affect how, when, if it all comes out as well. And so lots of diet management and she was able to have a bowel movement twice without pain, without strain, without the use of suppositories in the first time in two years. So that was huge. That was huge. Man, our constipation packet is gold. We do. If you have constipation, come see us. I will give you a packet that will change your life. Yeah, that's so good. You tell me yours while I crack this Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream. We're going to see how it tastes. Good sound. Okay. I want everyone to listen to this. I don't care. Like, especially if you are over the age of like 30. I had an 87 year old. 87. And when I say 87, I mean this nicely because I love her. Not a young 87. Like, you know how <laughs> they're, they're like, oh, they're 87. But like what you would expect from an 87 year old she came into me with incontinence when she was walking to the toilet incontinence when she stood up incontinence when she coughed and sneezed and wearing the pads all the things we've been working together for a a couple weeks and getting her stronger she's doing all the bladder retraining things no incontinence Yes. 87 years old. And one of the most common things, and it's always like my 50-year-olds. My 50-year-olds must think they're really old. They're like, I'm just too old. They're like, like, I had someone at the initial eval. They didn't want to be here. And they were like, I'm just too old. This problem just happens when you're old. Well, if you're not 87, if you're younger, if you're 87 or younger, you can be helped. Honestly, I've had, I mean, I've seen people in their 90s and it's helped. But this is just my oldest, this is my oldest patient I have right now. And she is doing phenomenal. I think that's like one of the biggest, I don't, yeah, one of the biggest misconceptions with women's healthcare is, well, that's just a part of growing up. That's just a part of being a woman. That's just a part of having kids. No, no, no. 87. It is not. It is not. Clearly, you are not too old. You have not had too many kids. You are not too far gone. Your symptoms are not too bad for you to seek treatment and for you to get help. That's amazing. 87. Good 87. for her. Good for her. 87. So I, I had one more. And just because I discharged her, so I won't have another chance to talk about this. Um, I had a patient I just discharged because she's doing fantastic she quit smoking. Ooh. We had talked about how, like, the benefits of smoking cessation and how it was contributing to her symptoms. I think when I saw her, she had been, she, I, it's like three or four months now, she's been off of it and she's done so well. I mean, we discharged That's yesterday, amazing. but she quit smoking. And I, I just thought that was, and I told her over and I was like, I am so proud of you because a lot of times when I have that conversation, it goes in one ear and out the other. Yep. People are like, I've been doing this for 50 years. I'm not stopping now. But she, this, this patient quit smoking and she's done so great and she feels so good. She good was like, her. she was like, the only problem is I crave chocolate all the time now. <laughs> and I was like, well, same. And I don't Girl, even same. smoke. So. <laughs> That's amazing. Just, I love that's, that one. That's really cool too, because that was one of the things where... I mean, even in PT school, when we kind of talked about that, 
smoking cessation and that tobacco education and everything, it was mainly focused on cardiovascular health and that was and and pulmonary health relating to the lungs. And it was a lot of, you know, okay, well, it increases your blood pressure and it increases the secretions in your lungs and the mucus and then you can't get as much air in and then you can't get air out and then you're going to have, you know, it's going to develop into this and then you could get cancers and everything like that. It was more focused on that cardiopulmonary system. But the fact that she quit because of her bladder, that's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, that's bladder so and cool. grandbabies. She bladder and grandbabies. Yeah, that'll yeah, do it. She, that'll do it. She um yeah, I think that was it was a combination of the two. Like she had been thinking about it and then she found out her son was gonna have babies and she was like, like nope. Okay, done. first grandbaby. She was like, and I'm done. Yeah. So I remember there was a doctor. Miller, one of our professors, she talked about a, a friend of hers. She had smoked like 60 years and that was her favorite. She loved it. She loved smoking. She was never going to quit. She would come home at the end of the day and she worked in healthcare too. So she mm-hmm. was like, I know all of the things. I think she was a nurse and she was like, I know all the things. I know it's bad. I know I shouldn't do it, but I love it. I come home. I sit on my back porch. I drink a cup of coffee. I have a cigarette and it's like the best end, end to the day. And her daughter was pregnant and she had told her like while she was pregnant she's like I'm not coming over to your house because it like all of the yeah that that secondhand smoke I'm not going to deal with that and finally when the baby was born she told she told her mom she was like you will not see this baby until you quit smoking quit that day cold turkey then and there she's like okay done those and grandbabies that will do it. That was it. Those grandbabies will do it. Yeah. So if you need motivation to quit smoking, have a grandbaby. tell your kids to have babies. Have some yeah. grandbabies. Um, but all right. Board question Board time. question. Dun, dun, Let's dun, go. Dun, 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 dun. We need like a little theme song for our board. We need like a segment to our patient wins and to the board question. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. So, all right. Your board question this week. Nadine is treating a young female with recurrent knee injuries. She suspects the female athlete triad is contributing to her symptoms. Which of the following describes this condition? A, disordered eating, amenorrhea, and osteoporosis. B, depression, amenorrhea, and recurrent ligamentous injuries. C, ACL tear, MCL tear, and medial meniscus tear. And D, disordered eating, depression, and osteoporosis. Oh, good one. So this is a good question, and this is one of those where every because each answer choice has multiple options, every single option needs to be correct. Every single option needs to be true. Um, so we're gonna start. We'll go through the question again. We'll read the answer choices again, and then we'll go through go through them. Nadine is treating a young female with recurrent knee injuries. She suspects the female athlete triad is contributing to her patient's symptoms. Which of the following describes this condition? So it's literally asking you which of the following is the female athlete triad this is a pretty straightforward question so you're not going to get many of these on the board exam so take them as they come a disordered eating amenorrhea and osteoporosis i like this answer yes we do see that disordered eating within the female triad which can also lead to things like amenorrhea um, when the physical expenditure that caloric expenditure exceeds calories in we start to have some problems the body recognizes eh, this might not be the most hospitable place to grow a baby Um, and so we do see some changes in that menstrual cycle and the last option choice for a is osteoporosis do we see this in the female athlete triad Yes. Um, Again, because those hormones are different, those hormones are skewed. We're not eating enough. uh, That can absolutely lead to things like osteoporosis. We've talked about the role that estrogen plays in bone strength and bone health. Again, with that skewing of the hormones, we can absolutely see osteoporosis. So fractures are very common in this population. So I like A. A is looking good. B, we have depression, amenorrhea, and recurrent ligamentous injuries. Depression. Can we see depression in the female athlete triad? Yes, but it is not one of the three. Can females with the female athlete triad have depression? Yes, of course, but it is not specifically one of the uh, one of the components of the female athlete triad. Amenorrhea. We also already said yes, that is correct, and recurrent ligamentous injuries. Um, this is where I kind of got hooked, like hooked up a little bit when I when I first heard the question. I was like, 
is it ligamentous injuries? Is it or is it osteoporosis? I couldn't couldn't really remember which one. Um, those ligamentous injuries are not part of that female athlete triad. It is more at looking at the the bone growth. And so with knee injuries, again, going back to the patient in question within the within the core of the question is yes we do have a patient that has recurrent knee injuries it doesn't say what kind of injuries though it doesn't say what type of pain it doesn't say you know why these injuries are occurring it just says recurrent knee injury so don't get don't get caught up on that uh so no i don't i don't like b c we have acl tear mcl tear and medial meniscus tear this is absolutely nothing to do with the female being triangulated. This is a good answer choice where you can just kind of mark that out immediately. The female athlete triad is looking more at multiple different components within the female athlete, not just specifically in the knee. So again, we're not looking at, you know, a young female athlete with knee injuries. We're looking at the female athlete triad. So we're crossing out C. And then the last one is D, disordered eating, depression, and osteoporosis. So we've already said that, yes, disordered eating and osteoporosis are two big components of the female athlete triad. But again, all of the answer choice has to be correct. And that last one is depression. And again, depression is common among female athletes with this female athlete triad, but it is not exclusive. It is not a component of the female athlete triad. So your answer is A, disordered eating, A amenorrhea and osteoporosis are components of the female athlete triad that was a good question i really like that question i like that question that's a good one one. like i said you're not going to get too many straightforward answers or straightforward questions on the board exam but take them as they enjoy them enjoy them when they do come so your psa this week again is get your your butthole out of your throat (laughs) honestly even if you're not having a pelvic, a exam. pelvic exam like all Get your of my butt people out of your stressed <laughs> if you're stressed if you're just high strung like yours truly Get your butthole out of your throat. I have to tell myself that multiple times a day. Use so. your pelvic wand if you've got a pelvic wand use that before you go to get your pelvic oh, exam yeah. too That can help a ton. Yeah, deep breathing all those stretches and everything do that before do it after um You've got this. You've got this. And if you are like, no, pelvic exams don't hurt. I'm totally fine. And then you go and you do have one and it does hurt. Uh, come see us. Yeah. Or if you're a provider and your patients are having pain, send them send to them. us. We'll fix it. Send them. All right, guys. Hope this was helpful. We will see you guys next week. Bye.